Welcome to Harrison Church. Each day this week, Senior Pastor Shane Page will be releasing a Biblical Simplicity Challenge. Check out our Harrison Facebook page each day for a short video, or you can listen here on the podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Welcome, everyone. I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. If you are visiting with us, I'm Shane, uh, one of the pastors here at Harrison Church. And uh, today is the first day of a new sermon series that I'm going to try to take a crack at, and we're calling it Off the Grid. How many of you ever heard that expression, uh, off the grid? Do we kind of know what this means? If somebody says, I want to live off the grid, they just want to live differently than everybody else. They want to get their energy differently from everybody else. And what I hope to show for the next few weeks is that actually the New Testament, when I heard someone say this, I thought, hey, you know, the New Testament actually calls Christian people to be kind of an off-the-grid people. So it's going to be step one today. Now, I've got to, t- <laughs> got to tell you, this is a challenge. It's challenging. But Easter itself is a challenge. It really is and how we live differently than everyone else. So what I'm going to do this morning is that we're going to read two passages of Scripture The first one is going to be sort of the springboard for the whole series, and I'll explain that to you. And then we're going to get to the other lesson, which is what I'll be talking about today, about what it means to live off the grid. So you're already standing. I'm going to be reading from Revelation, ooh, (laughs) chapter 18. Here's what John, the revelator, says. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. It's just foul. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Right, so that's John speaking to Babylon. Does anybody know what Babylon is in Revelation? Rome, the Roman Empire. But then John says, I heard another voice saying from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, and so that you do not share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. All right, we'll get back to that. Our second lesson will come from 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to one of his uh, students, Timothy. And Paul says this, beginning with verse 6. Paul says, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with, say that word with me, contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing We will be, notice Paul says, we will be, not we ought to be, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then there's this famous line, for the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. So he's talking about Christians. And they have pierced themselves with many pains. Well, friends, this is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, everybody, you ready? It's a challenge. Uh, but really, the, uh, the idea for this whole sermon series really to come, comes from Revelation 18. 
Uh, some of you already said it. John hears his voice from heaven crying out, Babylon is falling. He is actually referring to the Roman Empire, an empire that was oppressing the people of God, just like Babylon in antiquity oppressed the people of God. And, and, and this voice from heaven is, is casting judgment on all the wealth and the luxury and the violence that was going on. You can keep reading it, keep going. It's really actually more understandable than you think. But then John hears that other voice from heaven calling to the churches. And what does the voice from heaven say to the churches? Do you remember what he said, what he heard? Come out of her. Come out of what? Come out of Rome. Come out of the way they're doing things so that you do not do what Rome's doing. So that you do not participate in Rome's sins, the ways of Rome. In other words, you need to opt out. You ever heard that before? You Christian people need to opt out. You need to live off the, the grid. You know, one of the things, you know, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Easter. It's still the Easter season among us. What we often miss, as a pastor I see this, is that we forget that the whole event of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, it did more than just convert how people thought in the ancient world. The early Christians, when they heard the message of Easter, it converted their whole lifestyle. I mean, once, if you read the book of Acts, which is actually the book about what the early Christians did after Jesus was raised, every time someone decides to become a follower of Jesus, their whole lifestyle was really converted. How they handle their relationships, how they handle their marriages, how they handle their community, how they handle their finances, how they handle their possessions. It was, a, it was a conversion to a whole way of life. And we're kind of in a battle, us preachers, with this idea that we think that Christianity, we've been led to believe, especially for the last 300 years, that the only thing Christianity really is is just believe a certain set of facts. Just believe some doctrinal, doctrinal propositions. Believe in the Virgin Mary. Okay, yeah, check. Do you believe in the bodily resurrection? Yeah, check. Do you believe in the incarnation that at Christmas God became a human being? Yeah, check. And we think that's it. But it's more than that. I mean, it's a conversion of our entire lifestyle. This is where the challenge of coming out of Babylon really, really is. I mean, if you read the New Testament, and I believe doctrine matters. I do. It matters. I have devoted my life to studying this. But, you know, the New Testament cares more about how we're living our lives than what we really believe. I mean, Paul says in one of his letters, uh, he says this. He says, we should be imitators of Jesus Christ. You ever imitated somebody? 1 John 2.6, go look this one up. 1 John 2.6, John says, if we say we are Christians, we ought to live the way Jesus lived. That's lifestyle. We think about Paul in his letter to the Romans, the 12th chapter. Paul actually says, do not be conformed to this world, but be, does anybody know, transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to tell you this. If you want to be a nonconformist, then do what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about the first characteristic, or one of the first. This is in no order of what it looks like to live kind of a nonconformist, off-the-grid lifestyle. Here we go. Don't let your shields go up yet. But, it, but it's a lifestyle of simplicity. It's a lifestyle of simplicity. That's what it would look like to be different, especially in our world. Now, I've got to tell you this. Before I go any further, I'm going to be the most unpopular man on campus today. But if I don't talk about it, we never will talk about it. But here's what I want you to hear, and I'm serious. 
Everything I'm about to tell with you, I hope you do not hear me as though I'm preaching at you. I'm not preaching at you today. I am preaching with you. I struggle with this. It's hard to live a simple lifestyle. I mean, just like you, I am bombarded with advertisements everywhere you go. They're everywhere. You know, little cookies on your website. You know, I've been in occasions where, you know, I've got, I've got a shopping app on my smartphone, and I'll open it up, and uh, Christy can say, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just browsing. I don't really have anything else to do. I'm just kind of shopping, you know, and I get called up into this. But I will tell you, I kind of had a conversion experience about 10 months ago. Some of you have done this before, but it was a day, I was on a whim, it was just a whim, and uh, if you ask my wife, there are these days where I just had these whims, and I said, you know what, I am just going to go through all of my belongings, and I'm going to try to pare down, and I'm just going to keep what I need, things that I need, and try to get rid of everything else, and it was hard to do. I actually had to go through a spiritual ex- exercise with this, like, why can't I get rid of this? I haven't used it in 15 years, well, oh. you know, but I will tell you this, that once it was gone, I was like, oh, it was a spiritual experience. It really was. And I thought, hey, maybe the Bible's true. You know, maybe Jesus is actually true, what he said. And uh, maybe I just wasn't believing it. Maybe it was, I wasn't just believing that what he said was true. Ron Sider, uh, he wrote a book about 40 years ago that I just read within the last year. It's been updated a gazillion times. It's been a bestseller for a long time. It's called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Man, I commend this book to you. Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And one of the things that he says in this book, he says that Jesus has issued all kinds of of warnings. The Bible issues all kinds of warnings about riches and about our stuff, getting caught up into this. But we in North America have lived as those Jesus' warnings do not apply to us. We just insist on more and more. And then he says, and we think that if Jesus was so un-American as to uh, tell us our riches are dangerous, then we've got to do two things. We've either got to ignore what he said, or we've got to reinterpret what he said. Sometimes we reinterpret it. Let's find a balance, please. And I think I've lived my life before as if I was just kind of reinterpreting what Jesus said, but the warnings are there. Jesus did say, beware of greed. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Jesus did say how hard it is for those with riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said that. The Lord's Prayer that we looked at just a few weeks ago. Jesus said, when you pray, say, give us this day our what? Daily bread. That's it. That's it. No more. And then you got this verse that we read this morning from Paul, where he says, with food and clothing, let us be content with these. (laughs) Yeah, okay, can you imagine? Can you imagine being content with just those? And then Paul says, for those who desire to be rich... They fall into a trap. I'm thinking about that Star Wars character. It's a trap. Some of you get that. They fall into a trap that plunges them into destruction and to ruin. Man, that's not a bedtime story. Paul's being serious there. Let's not ignore this. This is what's in the Bible. I got to tell you, John Wesley, he's the founder of the Methodist faith. That verse from Paul that I read today is one of the reasons I decided to read it. That verse was really instrumental to John Wesley, the Methodist founder. This, this really propelled his life. 
John Wesley, in one of his most famous sermons, it was called The Danger of Riches. I often wonder how the congregation responded to this. Did they shake his hand when he was finished? But he says this in his sermon. I think I've said this before. He says to a congregation Methodist, he says, if any of us in here desire to have more than just food, more than just basic clothing, more than just basic shelter, we desire to be rich. And if you are desiring to be rich, he said, you are falling into a trap. Well, I've desired to be rich, John. I have. John Wesley actually had his own conversion experience. He was a young man. Uh, He was a professor at Oxford University. Very prestigious position, made a lot of money. See, John Wesley didn't mind somebody making a lot of money. That wasn't the issue. It was what we did with it. So he made a bunch of money, and then one day he had a bunch of money burning a hole in his pocket, and he looked around in his house, and he says, you know what I need? I need some new decor. I'm done with this. I need some nice stuff. And so uh, what he decided to do, he went down, he bought all this really expensive furniture, nice paintings for his, uh, his room. You know, he, just, and he says, well, you know, I make enough money, I deserve this. And he writes about this in his journal. And then hey, he goes to the, to the merchant, he pays his cash, because in those days there wasn't a credit card, he paid his cash, walked, walked out the door. A few hours later, he ran into a young woman who was a maid, and this maid did not have really adequate clothing on at all. She was working this job so she could make enough money to buy some clothes for herself. And so John Wesley says, well, I can help her with that. So he reached into his pocket to get some cash to give her, and guess what? He, how much money he had? He didn't have any money, because he'd spent it all on that new decor. Now, in John Wesley's own words, he said a voice spoke to him and said, John, you have decorated your house with the blood of that woman. That changed him. And he said, from that day forward, I'm going to do, I'm going to take this Bible seriously and I'm just going to live on what I need so that I can be free to love my neighbor. So I can be free to do this. John Wesley wanted the people called Methodists to do the same thing. And he said to them over and over again, I'm scared that we're going to get very prosperous because we're such hardworking people. And then we're going to run into what he uh, would call lifestyle inflation. You ever heard of lifestyle inflation? We have more, so we want more. Then this cycle continues. And then what ends up happening, we feel broke because we bought all this stuff that the world tells us we need to have. And then we feel like I can't give anything away. I can't do anything because I'm broke. And he says, that's the trap. That's the trap. We've got to be free, right, not to get called up into the non-essentials so that we can do the essentials. All right, I'm meddling today. I know I'm meddling. But I, I read in March of this year, some of you saw this. In March of this year, there was a report that says the United States has reached $1 trillion of car debt. One trillion dollars for what metal rubber vinyl oil i mean i'm meddling but what could we do with a trillion dollars if we redirected some of that money to the work of god as christian people now i'm saying we're we're a part of the whole trillion but see this is what happens we get called up and all this stuff and then we're not actually freed to do some other things with it, it makes us feel broke. Um, I am a big proponent of this class that we've taught here before. I'm going to do it again this summer. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Dave Ramsey? 
Okay, uh, he does this great class. Uh, I like him. Sometimes he just drives me crazy, but I like his class. And uh, he's, it's his financial piece, and it's all about kind of how do we work with our money as Christian people. I'm leading another one of these classes this summer. I really commend it to you. It's wonderful. But he's got this line in his uh, class where he says, he says, we spend money we do not have on things we do not need to impress people we do not like. We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we do not like. And this is what we do all the time. You see, that's the thing. That's the thing I realized when I purged all this stuff. I had it right there. All this stuff. Right? I looked at it and I went, this is a total waste of money, what I'm doing right now. What a colossal waste. It's junk. But I didn't call it junk a few years before. Uh-uh, I got to have it. I got to have this. And I started thinking, <laughs> I told someone, I said, I kind of wish I could go back to uh, myself like five years before. I wish I could catch myself in the checkout line or right before I hit buy it now. And I could, have, I could ask myself, hey, Shane, what are you doing buying this stuff here? And I would have said the truth. I would have said, I'm investing in my future yard sale. I- I'm going to buy this $200 gizmo so I can sell it for $10. <laughs> yeah, that's after I've been talked down. Aren't I savvy? Hey, we do all these things. We get, we get called up and all this stuff, and, and yet what if I would have said no? No, I'm just going to, food, clothing, shelter, that's all I need. What if I would have done that? I actually would have had more income, and I probably would have had more space, and I would have had a lot more opportunities to like, help people than I had before if I would have just said no. And that's the thing. We hear this sermon on simplicity and we think, oh, this is so oppressive and this is so negative. No, man, because if we can live simple lives, we will actually feel better. We will feel freer once we say, I have enough. It'll make us richer. I mean, have you ever thought about how much time you and I spend maintaining or fixing or organizing our things? It's like the car breaks down, your whole day's ruined. You've got to spend it at the, at the shop all day long for just some metal and, and oil, you know? It's good to have these things. But it's, I really, really, Jesus said that our preoccupation with our things will absolutely distract us from the things of God. This is Jesus. Jesus told a parable. He said, uh, the word of God, he said, is, is the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out and sows some seed. And some of that seed, really good seed, he says, fell upon the rocks and the thorns. And the seed sprouted, and, and then it just withered and died. And then a little bit later, Jesus interpreted what he said. He says, the, uh, the, the seed is the word of God, and, and the seed that fell among the thorns is like those who hear the word of God, he, say, he said, and think, amen, brother. I believe, I believe. It's like those who hear the word of God. But then he says, the worries and the cares of this life and the anxieties of this life and our pursuit of more, he says, chokes the word. And we become unfruitful. God cannot use us. See, the more we accumulate, the more we got to do what? Well, we got to store it and we got to insure it. We've got to maintain it. We've got to fix it. We've got to upgrade it. Then we've got to find a way to make it shoehorn into our budget. Uh, and then we've got to buy some extended warranties over and over and over. And the more we have, the more we have, the ancients taught this, the more you and I have, the more we fear we're going to lose. 
And the more we fear we're going to lose, the more insecure we become. And the more insecure we become, the more anxious we become. And the more anxious we become, the more discontent we become and restless. I mean, that's the thing. We live in a society that says you've got to be discontent. You cannot possibly be content right now. But the Bible says let us be content. You want to live off the grid, be a contented person. It was an ancient philosopher. He says, those who are always discontent and ungrateful, he says, they don't live. They live in vain. He says, they're never happy. They're never satisfied. They never live. They only get ready to live. Discontented people never live. They only get ready to live. Oh, if I could just maybe next week or maybe next year or maybe five years from now, I'll make it then. But content people, those who have learned to be really crazy and to be grateful for what they have with food and clothing, they live right now. They live right now. It's the good life. 1 John 2, 6, if we say we're Christian, we need to live like Jesus lived. All right. Last thing I'm going to say, though, I will end this with some practical applications. I get dinged for that all the time. I just like to throw it out there. So what am I supposed to do? So I'm going to give you some uh, practical application. I will say this, though. Uh, it's not from a theologian. I don't even know if this person's a Christian. It was a marketer. And he said something that I think really nails it in such a profound way. He said this, and I'll explain. He says, people don't buy new products. They're trying to buy newer versions of themselves. That's right. We don't buy new products. We're trying to buy new versions of ourselves. Someone confessed that, I've done this before, she said that she had this image of what she wanted to be, and she wanted to be a runner. Ah, if I could just be a runner. Chariots of fire. Dun, 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 dun. That's, if I can just become a runner, I will have made it. And, you know, she said, the first thing I did is I went to the store and I bought the most expensive pair of running shoes they had. And then I was like, I feel good, right? Dun, 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 dun. But there was one problem, she said. I got to run. <laughs> I'd never really run. And so what I ended up doing is I bought those shoes to make me feel like I was a runner. How many of you have ever bought something because you wanted to be something and you realized that I haven't done the habits necessary to actually do that? Uh, I want to be a writer. I'm going to buy the most expensive paraphernalia. How many sentences have you written? None. If you want to change who you are, it can't come from the outside. And I'm not saying we have to live like hermits, folks. Now, there are different versions of simplicity. Your simplicity will be different from, from mine. But I am saying if you want to change your life, you've got to do it from in here. You can't buy it got to do it the old-fashioned way through effort work building new habits it's the good life it really is let's not invest for our yard sale stop it stop it okay all right so i'm gonna try my best to do this i'm gonna give you some practical suggestions and i realize by doing this i'm gonna sound like a puritan uh, and i don't mean to sound that way but unless i give it to you then we can't really think about it so maybe you've got some other ideas that would work for you. But here's a, some of the wisdom of some of the people who've lived like this. Number one, frankly, you just have to commit. There has to come to a moment when you commit to say, okay, for a period of time, I'm actually going to try this. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to buy only what I need, food and clothing and shelter. You need to fix your plumbing if your plumbing's fixed, but you don't necessarily need to buy a dining room set. But you've got to commit to this. 
And then kind of examine yourself, all right? That's, that's one thing. Number two, you've got to start doing a gratitude assessment in your life. When was the last time you did a gratitude assessment where you really stepped back and say, I am, I am, wow, blessed. I got everything I need. I ate today. I slept. I got a roof over my head. I got a wife or a spouse. I mean, when was the last time you've, you've really done that? Our world tells you you've got to be discontented, and discontented people are ungrateful people, but not grateful people. Contented people are always grateful, and contentment is not a disposition so much as it is a discipline. You've got to work at it. You've got to work at being grateful. All right. Uh, number three, um, pay cash for everything you want to buy. And if you can't pay cash for it, you cannot afford it. My wife and I do this. It's hard. But it disciplines us. We've got to plan what we want now. We can't just go out and say, well, I need it right now. I don't want to buy a new version of myself too soon. <laughs> All right, uh, number four. What's, uh, what's another one? Ah, Richard Foster, a great Christian writer. Some of you read his Celebration of Discipline. Great writer. He actually said this. One of the things that he does, he says, before he uh, says, I'm going to buy this right now, he says, maybe what we could do is turn it into a spiritual exercise and see if the Lord will not provide it for us before we buy it. And I read that one. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But you know what? Just a few weeks ago, I said to myself something I wanted. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to buy it. And I wanted to. And honest to Pete, you know someone actually delivered it to me and had no idea what my decision was. See if the Lord will provide it for you. Don't get in front of him too quickly. Number five, last one I'll say, this is John Wesley because he's the party pooper. Uh, one of the things that John Wesley says is that before he bought anything, after that conversion experience of his, he says, can I cite any scripture to justify this? Is there any scripture? I can cite scripture to feed my family, but really, can I? And to really work with that and hold off and hold off. Okay, I'm going to call the musicians forward because I've talked too long. But I want to tell you this, that this, this week uh, on Facebook, uh, there's going to be like little daily videos of me uh, kind of offering you each day a little tiny challenge. Some of you, you've already heard this morning, but a little challenge throughout the day. It was actually leaked last week, and I got to tease Tim Helsley for leaking it. I'm like, you're like my Edward Snowden now. This is cool. Um, so we're going to do this every day through the week, and you know, if you, if you subscribe to our podcast, uh, you, can, you will get the audio version of this. But I want us to release, kind of take this seriously. I mean, let's, the Bible does talk about this. This is not unbiblical, and I'm not trying to be the prude up here. If we say we're Christians, then we should live as Jesus lived. That's 1 John 2, 6. Fred Rogers, my favorite hero, one of them, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He used to say that deep and simple is so much better than shallow and complex. We're called, we live in such a shallow, complex world. But man, if you want to be different, live a, 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 a simple and deep life. Because it's always in the deepest waters where the life is. Let's be simple so that we can be deep. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.